Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. What do you do when you come to this country on a visa and you're restricted by the things that you can do? the activities that you can do, the schools that you can apply to, and much more. That's what we're going to talk about today with Karen, who's from Brazil and has successfully navigated the pre-med and medical school application process. The Pre-Med Years, session number 480. Hello, and welcome to The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. And welcome to the pre-med years. Thank you so much for joining me today. I love talking about international pre-meds, international students who are pre-meds, because there's a lot of bad information out there about what it takes to get into medical school as an international student. And there is a lot of fear out there that international students have to be perfect students or else they'll never get in to medical school. And hopefully our conversation today with Karen will bust that myth and hopefully give you some information and motivation on your journey to medical school if you are an international student. Before we jump in, though, I want to mention F1 Doctors, which is an organization that helps mentor international students. Go to f1doctor.com to check out the free peer-to-peer mentorship platform that F1 Doctors has created. Let's go and jump into our discussion with Karen. Karen, welcome to the Premed Years. Thanks for joining me. Hi, Dr. Gray. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to chat with you. Um, and and based on your accent, I think people can can get a sense maybe where this uh, episode is going with an international student in our midst. When did you first realize you wanted to be a physician? I have been thinking a lot about that (laughs) question for the past two years. Um, So it's kind of a long story, I think, for every pre-med. That's how it usually is. It's for me, I've always had a niche for science. Um, I was born and raised in Brazil. And, you know, growing up, I had my dad who was a physician. And, you know, that always influenced me because I used to love sneaking into his office and looking <laughs> through his medical textbooks and um, visiting him in the clinic or his office and meeting his patients. And in Brazil, you don't get to choose which classes you take like you do in the United States. 
So they kind of have a preset curriculum for you. Mm -hmm. So growing up, I always had to take, you know, art, philosophy and history and um, physics and chemistry and getting the exposure to all of those subjects made me realize that I was the most passionate about the sciences, both um, social sciences and the hard sciences. And I always knew that I was going to go into the healthcare field. But when I started to think about medicine specifically, and this is actually kind of a personal story, but I think it's important for me to share because it shaped who I am. But when I was 14 years old, I lost one of my closest friends to suicide. Mm. And that was the first most heartbreaking experience that I had been through at that age. And it made me start questioning things about the healthcare system and how its mental health looked at. And ever since then, I started to, you know, commit more of my time to service. And, you know, it was from there having the experiences um, in the clinic and volunteering um, and having the patient exposure and having those meaningful interactions that I realized that, you know, medicine is the right path for me. Yeah. So very early exposure with your, you, you said your dad being a physician, um, yes. but, but not the, the kind of, uh, final thing that, that tipped you over, uh, having some, some other exposures along the way going, okay, yeah, this is what I want. So you're, you're in college in Brazil, correct? Taking, taking classes that, that you're supposed to be taking that, that you can't really pick and choose. Um, at, at what point did you go, I think I want to go to the States. Yeah. So actually I went to college here, but oh, you went to college here. Yes, I did. But I moved, I, I moved at the end of high school. So it's interesting because my dad's a doctor, but yeah. he never pushed me into medicine at all. Actually, the other way around, he was like, Karen, do not go into <laughs> it. Because <laughs> he always told me, you know, medicine is not just a career. It is a calling. Yeah. And he's also always told me, if you're going to do something, you have to do it right. Yeah. Okay, but, so, wait, but wait wait a second. You, you had mentioned <laughs> earlier that you couldn't pick and choose classes. Were you talking about high school? That was high school, yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, yes. all right. And I believe it is the same in college, but... Yeah, at the beginning, I actually, so my dad, when he was a teenager, he studied abroad for a year, which is something very common um, mm -hmm. that some Brazilians do. And I knew that I wanted to um, become fluent in English because I was taking classes, but you don't fully learn the language until, you know, you get to actually yeah. Yeah, be immersed in the culture and yeah. interact with people from the culture. So that's, you know, and I always knew about the technological advancements and all the scientific advancements being made here. And that fascinated me. Mm -hmm. So I knew that I wanted to come to the United States for that. And so I moved here my in 2014, my junior year of high school. Oh. And I lived in Washington with a host family and fully immersed myself in the culture. Yeah. And then um, after that, I was like, you know what? I kind of like it here. There's so many opportunities. There's, you know, research and so many things that I still want to explore yeah. to figure out if medicine is the right path for me, really. Um, and that's when I decided to finish high school here. I went to a boarding school in New York and finally ended up in California for college. Nice. So you you came as a temporary, I'm going to get some immersion, learn some English, mm -hmm. go be away from family for a little bit to have some fun. Um, and you're like, well, crap, now I got to stay. What What did your dad think about that? I have a feeling that my dad kind of knew deep down that I was just going <laughs> to leave forever. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, but yeah, he's always been extremely supportive. And like I like I said, he's always said, if you're going to do something, do it right. And he knows that, you know, the medical schools here in the United States are incredible. And yeah. um, he knew that I'd be able to achieve my dream by being here, even though, you know, I did have to sacrifice a lot <laughs> for that. Yeah. So so let's talk about that sacrifice. So coming into the States, immigrating here, uh, being an international student comes with lots of lots of obstacles um, as a pre-med student, specifically on a visa, a student visa, I'm assuming is what you were on. There are lots of restrictions for what you can and can't do all the clinical experiences and, and, and things that you're expected to do. Talk about the, the first time you realized that your journey as an international student from a pre-med perspective was going to be more difficult based on what you were and, and weren't allowed to do with your visa. That's a great question. I think for international students listening to this right now, I think they can definitely relate to that because I think every international student has dealt with the, you know, someone coming up to them and being like, you know, it's going to be really hard for you to get in because we have what about 140 ish accredited medical schools in the US and only 30 to 35% of those schools even accept international applicants or applications. And, you know, in the United States as a whole, there's like less than 1% international students matriculated in medical school. Mm-hmm. And with all of those, it, that's a lot of numbers, but I just knew that it was going to be really hard. And, you know, because of my visa, I wasn't able to get paid positions outside because that wasn't, you know, part of the visa description. And, um, Something else is like, you know, the financial aid is very limited and, you know, just all of those factors and that combined with having to adapt to a new system and having to adapt to a new culture and the language barriers and trying to understand how the process works because it's very complicated. Um, And I didn't have, you know, family or anyone like I have no family here in the United States that could guide me through it. So I realized that that was going to be the biggest challenge for me was just, you know, learning how to be independent and navigate the system um, and having to find the support system and the mentors that I needed to, to get there. But yeah, it's just a very intimidating process in general, but as an international student, it definitely feel a lot more isolating. Mm-hmm. From, from a pre-med activity perspective. Mm-hmm. What when was the first time you realized like, oh, I just I want to go volunteer at the hospital or go get a job as a scribe and go, well, well, like, shoot, my my visa doesn't let me do that. Actually, I haven't had a lot of setbacks in that part. Well, awesome. Again, like I said, there were some like paid positions that I was interested in or maybe some internships that I wanted to do, but I couldn't apply because the first bullet point in the requirement and description is you have to be a U.S. citizen. So I was like, okay, don't even look at it. So yeah, some of the internships that I looked at, like for summers, um, I wasn't able to apply for. Um, But thankfully, I was able to find some volunteering experiences. Um, I think volunteering is pretty common at hospitals where um, that's not, you know, your visa status is not a limitation. And I'm actually in my gap years right now. So I've been very fortunate to also find a full-time position 
um, where I can get even more experience. And I knew that, you know, being international, taking the gap years was definitely the right choice for me. And yeah, I'm lucky that I was able to find it, but it is more challenging because there's a lot of, you know, jobs that they just don't even look at your application if you're yeah. not a U.S. citizen. How, so you just have to be yeah. careful. Yeah. <laughs> How hard was it to transition from a student visa to a work visa after school or, or however that works for someone unsure of that process? Yeah, so I'm actually still on a student visa. So if you're, so I'm on an F1 visa and that's a student visa, the normal one. And if you graduate, from an undergraduate institution, you can apply for OPT, which is optional practical training. Mm. Um, and that allow, that gives you an extra year um, where you can still, you know, be working on your education. So you're still sponsored by the same institution, um, but you can be somewhere else. Um, and then for STEM majors, you can also apply for STEM OPT, which gives you an extra two years. So I'm on my second gap year right now. And Again, I've been fortunate to find a job during COVID and that, you know, took me in as an immigrant and um, it all worked out, um, thankfully. But yeah, it's something to consider and you have to, you know, rely on your support system and really do your research and just kind of be shameless and just call them and (laughs) be upfront, you know, (laughs) because some people will not tell you. So you have to be upfront to make sure that you're not wasting their time or wasting your time in something that's not going to work out because you know? Yeah. Interesting. So a lot of, and and we talked about this briefly before we hit record, uh, a lot of international students put extra pressure on themselves going through this process because they, they feel like any flaw in grades in stats in activities is just like the nail in the coffin. Like I'll never get into medical school in the U S as an international student if I'm not a perfect student, how much of that pressure did you carry through your pre-med process? A lot of pressure. <laughs> Since the beginning, the I think it was the first week that I started um, my undergraduate career, I was like, okay, let's, let's do this. Let's set up a meeting with the pre-med advisor. I went in, sat with him, and he was the first person that was like, it's going to be really hard for you to get in. You don't have research experience. You don't have oh. clinical experience. Do you even know how it works? I mean, later on, he was very supportive, um, but it, it was kind of just like a reality check, you know, and um, it was very intimidating because I didn't know how it worked. And, you know, after having someone say that, I definitely put more pressure. I've always tried to be, you know, a type A student, like, most, if not all pre-meds are, they put a lot of pressure on themselves, but I had that extra pressure of knowing that it was going to be more competitive because there are less options of schools that I can apply to. And out of those options, those are some of the most competitive schools to get into. And so I always try to, you know, in classes do my best, but that wasn't new, but especially when it came to the MCAT, because the MCAT was, and the MCAT is a beast. And <laughs> MCAT is important. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. And I, you know, I've never been the best at standardized tests, especially Mm -hmm. in the United States. Um, And I knew the MCAT was going to have the car section, which was never my strength either. So it was, and I mentioned this to you before we started, but I, when I got my score back, I wasn't 
surprised necessarily, mm. but it was a little frustrating. So I got, you know, the average score, I got a 511, which is not bad, but it's also not great because yeah. once you look on MSAR and you look at the average <laughs> MCAT scores of uh, accepted students, um, you know, that made me think that maybe it wasn't my time to apply. And, it, you know, it was just like that pressure. And because you don't know what it's like and you're, it's always in your head that you're an international student and you have lower chances and it's more competitive and give you guidance and share their stories with you. Um, I even debated not applying the cycle, but, you know, thank, thanks to your podcast and your resources, I was like, I, it's, you know, my application is more than that. It's not just the score. Mm -hmm. And I, I knew that I did the best that I could have, um, but yeah, it's always something that's in the back of your head. And I don't know if it's ever going to go away, but <laughs> you kind of have to learn how to move on yes. with it. <laughs> I, imposter syndrome, international student or not, never goes away. Um, yeah. you, you just have a, a little bit extra. Um, the the 511 that you got, which you had mentioned, uh, the average for... Uh, matriculants to medical school. When you go and look at the MSAR, it's below the median numbers that a lot of schools put out there. That's still a fantastic score, international student or not. And a lot of international, a lot of ESL students will go, well, how the heck did you score so for the MCAT and, and score well? And at least uh, with a 511, probably not bomb the car section. Uh, how, did, how did you do that? It took a lot of practice. <laughs> <laughs> so I think this is something that not a lot of people say, but I studied for about eight months for the test. Um, as soon as I graduated from college, I started studying and um, I took it March before the application. So the application had to be submitted begin end of May. I took it in March. Um, but I think, yeah, what a lot of people don't mention is how long it takes for you to learn how to study. So most of my time wasn't even spent actually studying for the MCAT, but it was kind of trying to study, failing, trying to study and failing and like trying to find methods that worked for me and methods that didn't work for me. And yeah. so for the first three months, that's all it was. And I think you do, which is amazing for them. Um, but for me, it took a lot of time. Um, and then I kind of just, you know, saw where my baseline was. And from there, I kind of just started focusing on the areas that I was not so great at first I reviewed, you know, all the materials that I haven't seen since my freshman year of college, which had been like four or five years. <laughs> so I reviewed all the content and then slowly I started just applying them and taking practice um, tests nonstop, like every other weekend and every weekend and just reviewing um, not just the wrong questions, but the right questions as well. <laughs> yep. And yeah, I started making my flashcards too. Um, based on you know the mistakes that I made and trying to see where the pattern was and that's something that one of my professors in college always joked about I'm huge on spreadsheets so I have spreadsheets for every step of this process and the MCAT was one of them so I kept track of all I think that was the biggest thing for me was just you know not 
relying on how other people study, but trying to figure out what worked for me and what my weaknesses were and what my strengths were. Mm. And last but not least, um, I binge listened to your MCAT podcast. <laughs> I'm not kidding, Dr. Gray. I listened to every single episode when I was at work. It was just like always there. Um, I did that and I did Anki or Anki. I never know how to say Anki. it. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So those were, you know, the things that whenever I had any five minutes to spare, I would just um, listen to those or do the flashcards. Yeah. So, so what I'm hearing is you were very intentional when it came to your MCAT prep. And yes. that <laughs> is the respect that the MCAT needs to do well on it. I should open up a book now. Um, you spent the first several months just figuring out how to study for the stupid test. And, <laughs> and so you, you dove in, you figured that out, you did practice uh, tests and questions, and uh, you were very, very, very intentional about it. W was there any strategy as an ESL student to the CARS section that you found works best for you? Or was it the same? Just practice, practice, practice. It was just practice, practice, practice. And something else that I heard was that, yeah, I kind of just tried to read the entire passage. For me, that's how it worked. And I know that that's the thing about cars too. Every person does it a different way. Um, but yeah, I feel like I just had to learn what kinds of questions were common and kind of you know, I think you need to really practice and get used to the MCAT and how the test is and how they test you. Mm -hmm. And then once you do that, I feel like you start seeing the patterns and, you know, the common mistakes that they have. Or um, once you read the, the essay, sometimes you kind of have an idea of what they're going to ask about it. So you just have to be focused. And um, something huge, too, was just, you know, it's all about mindset, this entire process, and that applied to cars as well. It's just going into the passage, thinking it's going to be the m most fun passage you're ever going <laughs> to read in your entire life and just actually being interested in what you're reading um, so yeah. you don't lose focus. <laughs> interest, interest. And that, that has come up a ton when I was doing the podcast with Jack West in the MCAT Cars podcast. That came up all the time in terms of just like, have some interest in what you're reading or else you're just going to block it out as you're going through it and you'll get to the end and go, what did I just read? <laughs> yeah. um, so that's definitely a, a huge benefit to, um, to get through that process. So as you were going through this process, you get your MCAT score back, your GPA is really good. You're looking at the the small percentage of schools that actually accept international students, truly accept international students. You, you are working on your application and submitting it, and there's there's just so much fear and uncertainty and doubt, the, the whole FUD thing uh, that we talk about a lot. Um, you submit your application, and, and then what? Uh, there, it seems like, again, as an international student, you're like, well, I get into school or I go back home. I talk, talk about what it was like to, to, to just kind of put it out there and, and just wait and, and not know what's next. Yeah, that's actually, you know what? That's actually one of the biggest reasons why I put so much pressure on myself because it's not just the expectation that it's going to be more competitive and that it's going to be more difficult applying as an international student, but 
it's the idea that if you don't get in, you have to go back. And, you know, um, I mentioned I'm on OPT and I, I, I'm able to stay here for three years. But after the three years, I, I wouldn't have any other options to stay as a student. So that was a huge fear. And that's why I don't know if or how much I recommend this, but I didn't have a plan B. Nice. <laughs> I, I love it. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't have a backup because I always keep what my dad always tells me. If you're going to do something, do it right, Mm -hmm. which is why I made so many sacrifices when I was studying for the MCAT. I put in so much time and why I worked so hard to find a full time position and, you know, keep doing service work that I truly care about. And I've always been I've always stayed very focused because there was no other option. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think having that mindset really helped. Um, I did, though look at other options just in case it's like okay i don't have to plan for this but i just need to have an idea of what's going to happen so um thankfully um at my current position that i'm working full-time as a core blood coordinator i have my supervisor who's so supportive and my entire team is extremely supportive and i love this position because i get to work in both clinical settings and i get to work in the lab so i you know, when I was just waiting, I, after submitting my applications, I had a meeting with my supervisor and I asked if there was any way that I could possibly stay longer after my visa expires. Mm. And she said that we could figure out a way. So it's one of those things that, you know, it's that extra worry that you have to carry with you and that extra burden. But again, I think nobody accomplishes anything on their own. And I think this entire process really proved that to me. I had to really rely on my support system and, you know, the family and the network that I built here um, and be shameless and just reach out to them. Even if I'm, you know, if I'm not super comfortable doing that, I I just had to do it because I had no other choice. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's a very common struggle that I hear from students who going through the process, maybe their first time through undergrad, uh, they they struggled to ask for help. They wanted to do it on their own. They thought if they didn't do it on their own, that they're they're not worthy of whatever was to come next. And so it's it's great to hear you talk about at each step of the way, like I'm asking for help. I'm going out and just saying like, hey, help me. What's going on? Tell me what I need to know. Like I I I. I want to absorb as much information as possible. So just talk to me, help me through this and let's figure this out together. And that's, that's an awesome, uh, that's an awesome trait to have, to be comfortable or uh, comfortable enough to do that and and accept that help. And that's something that it it didn't come easy for me at all. When I first got here and I was struggling in math class because I didn't know how to use a graphing calculator. (laughs) And that was the first time that I was really struggling academically because, you know, that language barrier was um, another thing that I had to Mm -hmm. deal with. But yeah, it wasn't easy at first. And it's something that takes practice. And, you know, you just have to go for it and kind of turn off your brain and just do it. And right before you talk to the person, you're going to want to, you know, cancel, but don't cancel, just (laughs) keep going. And then it's going to get easier and easier. Um, And that was something that was really important. I think for me to be able to navigate this system, I really had to 
like you said, absorb the information. So I, I asked and talked to so many people and I just literally emailed people that I didn't even know so I could talk to them <laughs> and hear their insights and their perspective. And, you know, I think that's the way that you expand your perspective and you learn about different ways that you could do things to figure out what works for you. Yeah. What was it like to get that first interview invite? Oh, <laughs> oh I still get goosebumps when I think about it. It was unexpected. But it was, uh, yeah, I don't even know how to describe it. It's like, I was afraid I wasn't going to get a single interview. And then, you know, I ended up getting interviews at the schools that I, I, that I loved. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, I just felt so honored and proud <laughs> and scared <laughs> yeah. because yeah honestly interviewing was never my strength and that was the part of the process that I was terrified <laughs> of but yeah getting that interviewing vibe was definitely you know I could take a breath and just getting an interview is you know something to be proud of and it's mm -hmm. such an honor to even be invited for an interview at these amazing schools how many did you get um, I only got three. Only? That's that's amazing. <laughs> uh, three interviews. Again, international student. Um, and for your interviews, a very common concern that I hear from international students is I'm worried about m my mastery of the English language, number one, and I'm worried about my accent. How mm -hmm. much did that concern you going into your interviews? I, I, so this is something that I want to share as well. Up to the interview, I think international students are at a disadvantage because it's hard to get an interview, right? There's very limited spots. But once you're at the interview, I think being an international student is an advantage. And so I fully embrace my accent. I fully embrace my story, things that growing up I wasn't the most proud of, but now I see how we shaped who I am and it, you know, it led me to where I am today. So yeah. I'm very proud of where I came from and, you know, all the things that I got to experience being exposed to both rural settings and urban settings and seeing the struggles that my family had to go through, um, being from a lower socioeconomic status in Brazil. And yeah, so that wasn't a worry that I had. And I think something that was really important for me again was the mindset because I went into it thinking coffee shop conversation <laughs> and yes. I really I think thinking about it as something it's not a test because if I thought about it as a test I would start shaking and my ticks would come out and it would not go well so the way that I thought about it was just as an opportunity to meet the other applicants and meet the admissions committee and the faculty and an opportunity to show them who I am and to share my story and to talk about things that I'm passionate about I don't think people like to talk about themselves but people love talking about their passions and so that's what I focused on and having that mindset really helped me go into it with positivity and I was just so excited obviously I was nervous but I was yeah. excited most of all <laughs> yeah the the first how many acceptances have you received just one one um, so far so far one yeah okay. but it's still waiting we'll see what so happens so <laughs> one is all you need that's all you need 
Uh, mm-hmm. Phone call or email for that acceptance? Phone call when I was home in Brazil with my family. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. Yes. <laughs> and and how did you all celebrate? We spending time together. <laughs> and yeah, I just spent so much time with them. My family, they're not the type of family that shows emotion really mm. and it was funny because they were actually not home when i got the call and i was just like having a heart attack and <laughs> screaming <laughs> and i was like nobody's here <laughs> but yeah it was it was great but again my dad my dad especially he's the kind of person that he's like you know karen the process is not over <laughs> keep focusing on what what you have to do next and so <laughs> Yeah, because it is not over. And something else that international students have to worry about is the financial part of the entire process. Um, So I was purely excited at first, but now it's like, okay, let's focus again. (laughs) Yeah, now now back back to reality, unfortunately. Back to reality. (laughs) Um, Well, you have the one acceptance. That's all you need. Uh, Financial stuff, we'll figure that out as we go. Uh, what's what's the end goal for you? Do you want to stay in the states? Do you want to go back home sometime and 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 practice there with with your dad and and set up shop with your dad? That'd be fun. What's what's that look like? <laughs> so my goal is to stay here. Um, I think there are many things that I still want to explore here in the U.S. And I kind of I've been here for six seven years now, yep. and I feel like my entire life is here. Um, so I don't see myself going back. I do want to go back maybe for, you know, uh, like just temporarily to kind of, um, especially where my mom's side of the family lives, I would love to go there and kind of set up a clinic or do something for the community that, you know, shaped who I am. Yeah. But I definitely want to build and, you know, have my practice here. And yeah. Um, I don't know where I'm going to be, but I'm excited to be here. And yeah, something that I want to focus on. Again, I, I kind of talked about my story with, you know, my friend and suicide and mental health issues that I had to see people that I loved and cared about suffer from. So that's definitely something that I want to keep focusing on. And I think here in the U.S., I mean, we're in a mental health crisis now, especially in Colorado. But um, yeah, I I know that that's something that I want to be a part of because, you know, one of the reasons why I moved to the United States was to become a global citizen and learn the language and pursue a career in medicine. But I saw all the advancements that were being made here and I realized that I didn't want to just learn about it, but I wanted to be at the forefront and I wanted to actually, you know, have a role in the change that's happening. Mm For the international student listening to this right now, concerns that they don't have a 520 and, and a 4.0 uh, and that they'll never get into medical school here in the States, what do you, what do you want to say to them to encourage them to keep moving forward? Stats is not everything. <laughs> That's huge. And I'm telling you this from personal experience. Um, it's scary, but you know, if you spend a lot of time on your personal statement and, you know, your letters of recommendations and building those relationships and really exploring what you're passionate about, if you're able to, you know, get that across in your application, stats is only a part of it, but what they care about. And that's what I've seen um, from all the interviews that I've had is that they want to see who you are as a person and, 
at the end of the day, the stats only help you get to a certain point. But after that, <laughs> it's all about your story. All right. So there you have it again, Karen, on her journey to medical school here in the States after coming from Brazil. I hope this gave you some encouragement, some information, maybe opened your eyes to the path that an international student has to take to be successful to get into medical school here in the States. Don't forget to check out f1doctor.com for free mentorship from international students who have gone down the path that you're looking to go down. Again, that's f1doctor.com. And before we wrap up, I want to talk about the MCAT Minute brought to you by Blueprint MCAT. One of the most common questions I get as we are in March of this 2022 year is when is the last time I can take the MCAT? And the answer that I typically give is the end of June. You get your score back at the end of July, and that's when medical schools are starting to peak at applications. And so it's not going to delay your application a ton. You can take it later, but it may and probably will delay your application in terms of when the medical school will look at it, when they consider it complete, and when they'll look at it, and when they will consider you for an interview. So just make sure that you're taking it, number one, when you're ready to take it, and number two, you're taking it early enough so that it's not completely affecting the timing of when medical schools will look at your application. The later you push back in the year, the more you should potentially consider pushing back your application as well. All right, that is it. I hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on The Pre-Med Years. This is MedEd Media.